Good morning, guys. More and more people are coming, and I believe more and more people are going to be fighting through Saturday traffic if they didn't come this morning. Uh, pray for people that are on their way. Uh, but welcome once again. If you're just joining us, um, we're going to be going into our second session. Uh, yesterday, we had our first session uh, talking about why rewiring, why uh, renovation of our hearts, um, this theme of post-COVID, how are we to not only return to like normalcy in, in other areas of life, but in, in our spirituality. Uh, that's where we sort of started the conversation. Um, today, we have a special guest. Uh, so you'll meet my closest friends in ministry today, tomorrow as well. Uh, Pastor Ingu is a great friend of mine. Uh, I'm not just saying this. I know everyone says this, but he really is a genuinely great friend of mine. I met him about 10 years ago in a basketball court. If you know pastors in basketball court, a true, true self comes out on a basketball court. I played with a lot of pastors who shouldn't be in ministry. Uh, Ingu loves Jesus on court and off the court. Uh, I met Ingu, uh, his wife Sharon. They have two boys, Daniel and Isaiah. And Daniel and Emma, they went to the same school, so I had to keep Daniel away from Emma because Emma's so beautiful because she looks like her dad. Uh, they have wonderful two sons. Pastor Ingu serves at a church called Onuri. Uh, Onuri is a huge church, uh, great influence. I, I went to a seminary that was huge, hugely supported by Onuri Church. And um, Pastor Ingu is uh, lead pastor. Uh, he's the, what, what is it? This is, what's his title? Associate pastor, but he leads a ministry called Point Five. Uh, which means uh, a lot of people, like sort of similar to us, people that have uh, lived outside of Korea, that are back. Uh, reverse culture shock is real, and they wanted to build a community around that. So Pastor Ingi has been serving in that ministry for over five years now. He also has many other hats. He's actually super busy. He's got so much going on. But when I asked him, he was more than willing to come. Uh, he's going to be sharing from uh, John 4, so I'm not going to do the sermon for him. But as he comes up, Let's welcome him. Let's encourage him. Here's Pastor Ingu. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good morning, King's Cross. Uh, morning. I know it's early in the morning, but thank you for uh, just being here today, uh, worshiping together, and. Uh, Thank you so much for having me as a guest speaker here today. Um, yeah, it's uh, truly a joy and honor to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Um, as Pastor Sangmin introduced me, um, he's been a wonderful mentor and friend in times of need. Uh, when I was serving at a, as a part-time at a different church, when I invited him to guest speak, he never turned me down. So, you know, this time around when... He invited me. Um, I couldn't say no to him, so. Uh, <laughs> no, like he mentioned, like, he's, a great, he's an awesome friend, a great friend. He's always encouraging me and uh, giving me um, good tips on ministry and always helping me whenever he can. So uh, before we get into today's word, I'd like to briefly introduce myself. Um, beautiful wife with two boys, uh, second grade and kindergarten. Uh, I, I was actually born here in Korea, and when I was seven, uh, our family immigrated to the States. I grew up in Jersey, so I'm from the East Coast. Um, stayed there till I was 12, and at 12, um, you know, our family 
uprooted and moved to West Africa, uh, Ivory Coast. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys heard of that country. It's right next to Ghana. Uh, it's a French-speaking country. And the reason why we went there was because my father, who's also uh, a pastor slash missionary, he was called to uh, Korean um, church there, ministry there, and they started doing missions. So I did elementary in the States, middle school in Africa, in a French middle school. And then for high school, my sister and I, we went back to the States. I uh, did high school in the States, did uh, you know college, worked for about three years. Then I received my ministry calling again, and um, I decided I wasn't spiritually ready to uh, go into ministry yet because I was leave I was living as a heathen so <laughs> I had to I was like you know what I'm gonna go back to Africa I'm gonna get myself spiritually ready so I actually went back to Ivory Coast as a you know as a missionary and while there um, God just opened doors for Korea my initial plan was to spend just one year there get myself spiritually ready and then go back to Jersey you know preferably maybe like Princeton Seminary or Westman or somewhere like that and uh, God somehow opened doors and all my friends back home kind of asked me because like they thought I was going to be gone for a year, come back to the States and, and you know, they're going to be able to be uh, to spend time with me again. But when I told them of my plans, like, you know, Ingyu, like, why? Why Korea? Like, you know, you don't even speak Korean that well. Like, why, why are you going to Korea? And then I just I just had no answer. I just told them that I don't know why God is leading me to Korea, but I have a strong conviction in my heart that uh, God is leading me to Korea. So the terms that I came with myself or the, you know, what, what I kind of talked myself into was, uh, there was like two things that kind of encouraged me about going to Korea. One, um, I was kind of doing a reversal of my, what my dad was doing. My dad, he was actually working here in Korea and then he received his ministry calling and instead of doing seminary in Korea, he, he went to, you know, New Jersey and did his seminary there. So my logical uh, reasoning behind all of this is if my dad could do seminary in America, I think I could do seminary in Korea because my Korean is better than my dad's English. So that was kind of comforting. <laughs> and two, um, I kind of told myself, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give myself a year. And if I can't do seminary in Korea, because like everything was in Korean. And um, I never did, actually I did 1학년 1학기, which is like a first semester of first grade in Korea and then I went to the States and I had to do ESL and first grade all over again so I've never had formal academic um, training in Korea so I told myself if I can't keep up with the studies I'm just gonna go back to the States and I was like God I'm, I'll just give a year and if I end up wasting this year I'm just gonna waste it for you so I, I came with an open mind uh, you know peaceful spirit and when I came to the seminary here you know, God's grace was evident everywhere because what I realized is a lot of the seminary professors, they themselves at one point were exchange students. So they were either studying in America, uh, studying in the UK, studying in Germany or France. So they knew the heart of an exchange student. So they were very graceful unto me. They let me write my papers in English and, you know, three years flew by and, you know, I, I finished my MDiv here and then I got connected with Unri and I've been serving at Unri. Um, I had never imagined that I would be doing uh, ministry in Korean. Now, right now, I'm preaching, you know, every single week in Korean. By God, I don't know how, but I have never imagined, uh, you know, going into ministry that I'll be preaching every week in Korean. 
but I was kind of put into a situation where I had to. And in Onuri, they kind of throw you in the water and you know, they kind of observe, okay, if this guy can swim, we're gonna let him swim. But if, if this guy sinks, then we're gonna have to find a you know, different place of ministry or a different you know, setting, whatnot. So when I initially went to Point Five, this ministry that uh, you know, Pastor Tangmin uh, described, um, I was under the impression that it was gonna be half and half. So I was gonna preach in English and then preach in Korean. But then I realized that, you know, although majority of my congregants are, you know, they have English background, they're also people from Europe. They're also people from East Asia. They speak multiple languages. So I actually learned that the common language that we actually could go by is, is Korean. So every, you know, although we sing praise songs in English and, you know, I, I incorporate a lot of English into my sermon, uh, the common language is Korean. So that was kind of a, a culture shock for me and it took some time getting used to, but uh, yeah, God's grace, um, uh, you know, we are um, happily doing, you know, uh, faith together here in Korea. Uh, we survived COVID and, um, you know, you guys are having your retreat this week, but um, I'm, we're having our uh, retreat for the first time post-COVID next week. And, you know, Pastor Sangmin said he'll be more than happy to come and guest speak, so we're kind of <laughs> negotiating here. Um, so, you know, going back, um, even to this day, I'm not exactly sure why God brought me to Korea, but one thing I tell my friends for sure, uh, this is a place where I know for a fact, and, and I have this strong conviction in my heart that this is, you know, the place where God wants me to be, and this is a place where I need to serve. So that part of me never wavered. I still don't know the reason why, but I know for sure that, you know, Onuri is a place where I'm supposed to serve right now. Korea is a place that I'm supposed to be, so... You know, for those of you who are either, you know, transitioning in here to Korea or transitioning out, know that God has a distinct plan and purpose for you. And, um, yeah, that's my brief intro, and uh, I would like to get into today's word. Today's word is, um, the title is called Bitter Water, and I'm going to explain why the title is called Bitter Water towards the end of my sermon here. But uh, it's a famous story about the woman, uh, Samaritan woman. So I would like for us to read the passage together. It's John chapter 4. Verses 7 to 26. And I'm going to just ask for your forgiveness. Um, I, don't re I don't recall the last time I preached in English. It's been about a couple years, I think. And, uh, and again, this is like so bizarre because English is my you know, most comfortable language. Yet, you know, I'm, I'm preaching and teaching the Bible in Korean you know, every week. So, you know, Korean has gotten a lot more comfortable. So if I pronounce certain words a little bit... <laughs> Different, you know. Sometimes I'm I'm speaking to my wife, and she's like, "What would you just say?" Or like, you know, certain words come off really weird. So if that happens, I ask for your forgiveness, and uh, may God's grace be with us all today. Uh, John chapter four, verses seven to twenty-six. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, how about we go verse by verse? So I'll read first, and then you guys could uh, follow, and you guys could read verse eight, and I'll read verse nine, etc. All right, verse seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "Will you give me a drink?" The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water?
Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. Uh, Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when uh, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Amen. All right, uh, sorry, sorry for the mix-up. I think I was reading in NIV and you guys were reading in ESV for a second, but uh, I apologize. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm going to just pray for us and then we'll get into today's word. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to come into your presence this morning. Um, at this time, I pray that you open our ears and you make our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh so that we may uh, hear your word and hear your voice and hear your message Uh, Through today's text, um, we want to give this time wholeheartedly to you. I pray that the Spirit will lead us and guide us. Uh, We thank you. We love you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So just to give a brief background information on today's text, today's text is the longest uh, recorded conversation in all of the Bible. And it didn't involve... Jesus and an important person, someone who comes from a significant background, but it involves Jesus and someone who is very insignificant, uh, nameless, uh, Samaritan woman. So it wasn't Jesus and his beloved disciple who had the longest recorded conversation, but it was actually Jesus and uh, this Samaritan woman. And this is a stark contrast to the previous chapter because in previous chapter, John chapter 3, Jesus has a personal encounter with uh, a man named Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus was a uh, well-respected religious figure in his community. Everyone loved him. Everyone looked up to him. He was um, a Jewish man. He was a teacher uh, of the law. And it was actually Nicodemus who went out to seek Jesus. But in chapter 4, we see the complete opposite. Uh, it's a non-Jewish woman. She was actually Samaritan. She was neglected, uh, social pariah. Uh, she believed in a different God uh, than the Jews. Uh, her religion was kind of a mixture of Judaism and you know, the local idolatry. Yet, Jesus comes to this woman. Uh, it wasn't this woman coming to Jesus. Jesus comes to this woman, and Jesus has a personal 
and intimate, uh, probably the most intimate and personal uh, evangelism sessions that we see in the Bible. And, you know, Jesus did not have to pass by Samaria, but he intentionally takes a longer route, passes by Samaria on his route to go somewhere else. And all this for an unknown woman. Verse 7, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to go verse by verse here. I'm going to read verse 7 again. Uh, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So the first thing that Jesus does when he encounters this woman is he asks her this question. Can you give me some water? It's a bit odd. I mean, you know, they were at the well, so naturally it would be okay for Jesus to ask her for some water, but uh, this is not a great uh, conversation starter. This is not really breaking the ice, but Jesus intentionally asks her for water. Uh, The answer to this question, I'm going to get at the very end of my sermon, why Jesus asked her for water, but just know that Jesus did this with a clear uh, purpose And as we know, he he was intentional about everything he did uh, in this encounter. So first off, what he does is he sends off his disciples to buy food. Uh, If you look at verse 8, his disciples went into the town to buy food. And the reason why he does this is if you could picture this scenario, um, you're the Samaritan woman at the well, and from a distance you see 12 Jewish guys walking to the well. What's going to be your first instinct? You're going to leave that spot, right? So Jesus, knowing this and knowing that he wants to have a personal encounter with the Samaritan woman, intentionally sends his disciples into the town to buy food so that he could have a one-on-one conversation with her. And this is uh, the beauty with the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, right? Whether we like it or not, when there's a divine intrusion like this, uh, when Jesus comes into our lives, there is going to be great changes in our lives. Uh, verse 9. I'm going to read verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So right off the bat, uh, we see her drawing a line here. And Uh, you know, we're going to notice throughout the conversation the way she approaches Jesus or the way she uh, calls upon Jesus is a little bit different. So she starts off by saying, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. So she's clearly drawing the lines here and saying, you know, we have no reason to talk right now. Uh, We have no reason to have this encounter. And how can you even ask me for a drink? So she's kind of drawing the lines in her mind and she says, I want pretty much nothing to do with you. Now, I want to give a little bit, a little bit of a background on the history of the Samaritans and the Jews. Uh, we have to go all the way back to about BC 721. Uh, this was when there was a, a split kingdom. We had Judah and we had the 10 uh, tribes of Israel. So we had the northern uh, kingdom and the, uh, the southern kingdom and the Assyrian empire. You know, you know God sends prophets uh, to have the Israelites come back to him to confess of their sins, but they don't listen to him. So finally, God uses the Assyrian Empire. They come, they bring all of the ten tribes into captivity, right? So pretty much all of the population goes into Assyrian Empire, and they're forced to live there as, uh, you know, as slaves in captivity. But what the Assyrian Empire did, right, what the Assyrians did is they left some of the lowliest of the people, some of the poorest and the lowliest of the people to 
kind of tend over the, the, the flock, uh, the animals, and to take care of the land. So we had the lowliest of the people uh, remaining in northern uh, kingdom, northern Israel. And then we had the Assyrian empires bringing in people from all over the empire, the Assyrian empire, and they go back to northern, Isra uh, northern Israel. So we have the poorest people intermarrying with some of the locals and you know, people from other kingdoms, and then we have the Samaritans. So the Samaritans, they had uh, Judaic beliefs. They, had, uh, you know, they shared some of the similar religious beliefs, yet they kind of mixed that with the local beliefs. So they believed in Baal. They worshipped um, poles, and you know, they were involved in heavy idolatry. So in the eyes of the Jews, this was the worst thing that you could do because you are mixing, one, you're intermarrying, which God forbid in the Old Testament, and two, you're mixing idolatry with uh, Judaic beliefs. So in the eyes of the Jew, Samaritans were probably the worst type of people and the worst type of insult that you could say to a, a Jewish person during that day was calling that person Samaritan. And if you look out throughout, throughout the history of uh, you know, the Old Testament, there was always uh, beef between them. When Nehemiah returns to rebuild the walls, it was the Samaritans who tried to prevent them from building the walls. And there was constant conflict between them. So it's natural that this woman draws a line and says that you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. But we know that the gospel goes beyond religion, race, gender, and societal barriers. And Jesus keeps on digging. Right? So in verse 10, I'm going to read verse 10 for us. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have, you, uh, he would have given you living water. Right, so even though this woman draws a line saying that you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, uh, Jesus ke keeps on digging at our heart and he gives the same message pretty much what he told Nicodemus, that salvation is a gift from God, and he is pretty much uh, placing breadcrumbs in front of her so that she keeps on digging, and he's getting her to ask the right question. Now, we see a change in her attitude. I'm going to read verses 11 to 14. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than her father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did the sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to living, uh, welling up to eternal life. So this time when she addresses him, she calls him sir. Um, she kind of warmed up. So she knows that, okay, this Jewish guy that I'm talking to, he's a bit different than the other Jewish guys that I've you know, encountered you know, in my life or in my area. He seems a little bit different. So she opens her heart a little bit more and she addresses him as sir. Uh, if you look at the Greek, uh, it's, you know, we could interpret this as lord or even a teacher or a rabbi. So something of a respected uh, title, right? So she's no longer drawing the lines here, but she is kind of opening up and warming up to Jesus. And Jesus is pretty much telling her this message. If you knew who I truly was, and if you knew who was asking you for water, you would know that the water that I give you, once you drink it, you will never be thirsty again. 
So what started off as a casual uh, conversation, Jesus asking her for water and, and in turn her asking Jesus some questions, Jesus is getting to the core of her uh, spiritual illness, uh, spiritual sickness, illness, and he is uh, just pretty much dropping breadcrumbs so that she's asking the right questions. So we go from a Jew to sir, and now we go to a different title. Uh, I'm going to read verses 16 to 19. We see a slow progression here. Jesus said to her, go call your husband. Uh, and verse 15, she says, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. And in verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the ones you now have is not your husband. What have you said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So when Jesus tells this woman that, you know, the water that I have to give you, uh, once you drink it, you will have, you never be thirsty again. You will have eternal uh, life. Uh, your thirst will be forever quenched. And, you know, she, and Jesus immediately tells her to bring her husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. And the, and the husband that you're with right now is not your husband either, but you've had five previous broken relationships before this. What Jesus is getting at is her thirst. And this is one of the reasons why he asked for water in the beginning, is he wants to get to the root of her spiritual problem, is that she had this fundamental thirst in her that couldn't be solved by anything else. So in her life, she's been looking at different places, uh, at relationships, at men. And the reason why she even had to come here at noon is she was a social pariah. Uh, none of the women wanted to associate with her because obviously this woman was a five-time divorcee. I'm sure some of the women uh, were afraid of her because you know, she might hit on their husbands and she might go on an affair with their, you know, their spouses. So all of these uh, women in her town neglected her and they kind of wanked at her. So she was forced to come at the noon where no one went outside because the sun was so hot. Normally women went out early in the morning to draw water and this is where they had their uh, conversations, they gossiped, they had fellowship, but she was pretty much excluded from all of that community, from all of that fellowship and she had to come here at noon. And what Jesus is doing is he's addressing her fundamental problem of thirst. And he's telling her, the water that I give you, once you drink from it, you'll never be thirsty again. You'll never look into relationships to solve that thirst. You'll never look into men to quench your thirst. Uh, friends, we live in Seoul, uh, South Korea, and you know, a lot of my uh, peers and a lot of the pastors, we pretty much say the same thing, especially uh, pastors who are doing ministry in Korea. Korea is probably one of the, Seoul is probably one of the toughest places to do ministry and to live a life of faith because there's so many temptations and uh, distractions. Um, you know, Seoul has become affluent. Uh, a lot of cultures, uh, a lot of people living in Korea, and with all that affluence and culture and diversity, there's also a lot of temptations and uh, a lot of ways we could fall into sin and um, a lot of ways we could actually uh, try to fulfill our thirst. You know, this woman was looking towards all of these other things and what Jesus is telling the, the Samaritan woman and what Jesus is telling us today 
is don't look for worldly things to quench your thirst. Because we all have a thirst. We all have a desire. We all have a longing. But we know that no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try to fill this void, this thirst, this fundamental problem of you know, fulfilling this void in our hearts, it will never work. And the more you throw at it, the thirstier that we get, whether it be through our work, whether it be our bank account, whether it be relationships, whether it be our social status, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, if it's not Jesus Christ, if it's not God himself, we'll never be able to fulfill that void. Now, once this woman, you know, he calls, she, she calls Jesus a prophet, uh, Jesus also answers her theological question about all right, where are we supposed to worship? And Jesus says, it's not the place that matters, but God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And we see her. Um, uh, I'm going to read verses 25 and 26 for you guys. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So throughout their conversation, as this woman truly gets to see Jesus for who he is, she goes from a Jew to sir to a prophet, and finally her confession is that he is Messiah. And, and uh, if, we read, uh, if we read the entirety of chapter 4 and verse 42, I'm just going to read it for you guys. Um, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, the Samaritan woman goes back to her hometown, and you know, Jesus comes with her, and he uh, begins preaching the gospel where she's staying. And verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So Jew, sir, prophet, and then finally, Messiah. This is what happens when Jesus comes into our lives, whether you know we want it or not, whether there's a divine intrusion or if we're like Nicodemus, uh, we have this fundamental thirst and we want to seek out Jesus, the outcome is the same. Our lives are forever changed. And once we see Jesus for, he, for who he truly is, you know, everything changes. But I want to go back to our first question. Um, why did Jesus ask this Samaritan woman, uh, unknown, nameless woman, uh, right off the bat, why was his first question, can you give me water? And that's probably the most important uh, point of our message today. And it's because back in the Old Testament, um, once a woman was either uh, uh, accused of adultery or there was either a, a suspicions of uh, uh, an adulterous act, what happened was the husband would bring the wife uh, in front of the high priest and the high priest would do this uh, test. So he would get some dust from the tabernacle floor, mix it with holy water, and the woman, the woman accused of adultery, she would drink that water. And if she was indeed guilty, she would have severe abdominal pain and she would be uh, childless uh, for the rest of her life. Or, you know, if there was actually enough evidence, she would be stoned. And um, so we're going to read Numbers chapter 5, verses 27 to 29. Can we have that up, please? Numbers chapter... 5 verses 27 to 29. Can we read it together? 1, 2, 3. And when he has made her drink the water, then if she has defiled herself and has broken faith with her husband, the water that brings the curse shall enter into her and cause bitter pain. 
and her womb shall swell, and her thigh shall fall away, and the woman shall become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive children. This is a law in cases of jealousy when a wife, though under her husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself. All right. So this was pretty much the punishment for you know adultery in the Old Testament. Now, if we were to apply this message to us today, uh, you know, I, I kind of mentioned that we live in Seoul, um, which is a very difficult place to live, uh, to have a life of faith and to be, you know, spiritually filled. And it's because there's so many temptations and idolatry here in Seoul, right? Um, so many places where we could fall into idolatry. And this is a reality. Uh, we are all idolaters, whether we like it or not. Um, in our heart, you know, we, we, we proclaim with our mouth, you know, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. But when we really examine our hearts, uh, we have so many false idols, uh, things that we have resurrected uh, with our own hands or, you know, within our hearts, uh, places where we look for salvation other than Jesus Christ. So if we were to apply this Old Testament message into our lives, we are the ones who should be drinking the bitter water. Uh, we are the ones who should be punished and condemned for the act of adultery and idolatry. And if you look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, I'm just going to read it. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So according to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, we have committed two sins. We have forsaken God, and we have dug up our own cisterns, cisterns that cannot hold water. And we're kind of like the Samaritan woman. Uh, we are not connected to the source, which is God, who gives us everlasting water. And once we drink from it, we shall never be thirsty again. But we have dug up our own cisterns, and we're trying to fill that void with worldly things and other things than God, right? Now, we know that we have to drink this bitter water. We've known that we have committed two sins. But what did Jesus do on the cross and why did he ask this woman for water? Uh, we want to look at John chapter 19, verses 20 to, 28 to 30. I'm just going to read that for you guys. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine onto a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So the last thing that Jesus did on the cross is he actually drank bitter water. Um, this was uh, bitter vinegar on a hyssop, a stalk of a hyssop plant, and all that just made this a bitter drink. So the last thing that Jesus did on the cross and what Jesus did for us is one, he proclaimed that he was thirsty and two, he took the bitter cup. The reason why he declared he was thirsty is he's letting us know, I'm going to be thirsty. I'm going to take on the cosmic thirst so that you will never be thirsty again. And through the cross, the water that I give you, if you take this water, if you accept me as your Lord and Savior, you will never have to look for worldly things again and you'll never be thirsty again. And I'm going to provide for you the eternal life and eternal water. And he took 
the bitter cup, and he became thirsty on her behalf. So when he asked the Samaritan woman, can you give me a drink? In essence, he's saying, I'm going to take your place of condemnation. That's the first thing he says to the Samaritan woman. Can you give me water? And the water he was asking her was her sinful life. Instead of you taking the punishment upon the cross, I'm going to take that punishment. I'm going to bear the cross. I'm going to drink the water that you should have drank because you're a five-time divorcee and even now you're committing adultery. But because I love you and even though you're a nameless Samaritan woman, I am going to drink your bitter water and I'm going to take the cross. And this is the message that he's giving us today. Um, I heard a story where uh, a diplomat from a third world country um, he went to Europe for a business trip. And, uh, you know, if you could have the praise team come up, uh, I would like to maybe sing a song and go into time of prayer as well. Uh, and when he went on that business trip, uh, the thing that didn't amaze him, I mean, you know, there were a lot of things that amazed him. It was like the fancy cars, the big buildings, uh, you know, all this, uh, you know, delicious food. But one thing that stuck out to him the most was dispensable water, you know. Uh, at the... Uh, you know, at the turn of a knob, he had this fresh, uh, clean uh, drinking water that came out of the faucet. So I don't know if this is a true, uh, true story or not, but legend goes, he went to a store, uh, store and he bought a faucet. And he went back and, uh, you know, he gathered all his villagers and they stuck that faucet into a hut. And when he turned the knob, did water come out? Obviously not, right? So the moral of the story is, are we connected to the source? I think the biggest takeaway is, yes, Jesus uh, took on the cross. He, he uh, drank the bitter water that we should have drank so that we'll never be thirsty again. But what's important here is in order for us to live the, the life that God has given us is we need to be connected to the source. And the only way we could be connected to the source that provides us uh, eternal water uh, that sustains us is being with Jesus, you know, uh, daily. It's, uh, you know, doing QT. It's clinging on to his word, uh, having a prayerful life. And I know, you know, the theme of the, this year's retreat is rewire. And I think we need to rewire some of these things in our hearts. Uh, we need to, one, discern. Uh, have we dug up our own cisterns that cannot hold water? Are we looking to other places other than Jesus to give us eternal uh, water? Or am I, you know, looking to relationships? Am I looking to my bank account? Am I looking to my job as a security blanket? Can we sing a song? And then uh, I'll lead us into a couple prayer topics and we'll end uh, the morning session. So if you go into time of praise and then uh, we'll go into time of prayer as well.